Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Mark Rubenstein, the author of the haunting and romantic new thriller, Lover's Tango. Mark, welcome. Hey, Steve. Great to be with you. Always a pleasure to chat with you. And as you know, I'm a big fan of your fiction. And it's always nice to be able to say this uh, to someone that you've read a lot of their work. I think this is your best book. You just keep getting better. Wow. Okay. Well, I've heard that from a number of readers, uh, both on Amazon and in person at bookstores and so forth. It's great to hear. (laughs) And this is a little bit of a departure for you. So first, let's talk a little bit about Lover's Tango. Then we'll get into some of the other things you've written and how this is a departure. But, uh, you know, this is is one of those stories that will stick with a person for a while. So give us us your overview of Lover's Tango, if you would. Sure. Well, the Lover's Tango is a, uh, I, I call it a medical and the legal thriller. It really uh, primarily concerns a a best-selling crime fiction writer named Bill Shaw, whose wife dies very early on in the novel. Uh, This is not a spoiler. And lo and behold, the police discover that contained in his uh, laptop computer uh, is a novel he's been writing called Assassin's Lullaby, which has very strange, even eerie parallels to the manner in which his wife has died. As a consequence of this, he ends up uh, being put on trial for second-degree murder. And throughout the course of uh, the trial, while various things emerge that uh, drag the jury and the reader, I hope, one way and then the other. <laughs> and it's really a novel about uh, the, the, the tango uh, being a metaphor for not only life and love, but also for what a courtroom is all about. It's a dance that the prosecution and the defense go through, trying to convince the trier of fact, namely the jury, uh, each one uh, tries to convince the jury that its version of the truth is the correct version. And uh, during the course of this, I hope it is haunting and has a bit of romance, or more than a bit of romance. More than a bit. All, <laughs> yeah, but, but but above all, suspense and uh, a kind of drama that grabs you and doesn't let you go. It absolutely does all of that. And one of uh, probably most people well you're you're a psychiatrist so you would know this i'm not going to ask you to analyze me but uh, <laughs> i i think for a lot of people an unspoken fear is that fear of being arrested being drugged down to the police station being questioned not knowing what's going on and very early on in the book bill shaw goes through that process and because of your experience as a psychiatrist and a forensic psychiatrist, it just seems like you put us right smack dab in the center of his mind while all this is going on. And it's, it's harrowing for someone who actually has that as a fear to, uh, to go through that process with Bill. I think it's harrowing for any human being, uh, whether you've actually concretized it as a fear or not, uh, but to be reading uh, the first couple of chapters and uh, if you, you know, as most readers do, to identify with the protagonist and be in his head, which, by the way, is why I wrote it in the first person, so that you can be right there in Bill Shaw's head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's just a frightening, it's a living, waking nightmare to find yourself through the eyes, ears, and senses of Bill Shaw 
in his shoes. And uh, you root for him, and at the same time, I, I think you, you can't be 100% sure. As, as in life, Steve, you can never be 100% sure about anything. You know, uh, you know the old, the, that great movie and play Rashomon, where you got four different versions of, uh, of a terrible thing, and they were four diametrically opposed versions. And, and you know, wherein does the truth in our lives lie? Right, and that's that's one of the themes that you bring out in in the book so beautifully, all the way through to the very end, uh, including some comments from the judge that uh, that ask that question. The judge, by the way, is named J. J. Marin, M. A. R. I. N., and he says to the jury when he's instructing them about how to deliberate uh, at the end of the trial, he says, "Quote: You must understand, ladies and gentlemen." There are no absolute certainties when we deal with human affairs, unquote. Now, that's, do you actually remember that, or did you, are you referring to the book? Because I'm really impressed. Uh, well, I could try and impress you more, but i got to <laughs> tell you, I have the book open in front of me, Steve. <laughs> All right, now I have to ask this question, and I'm sure everyone that interviews you about the book asks this question, but I have to ask it anyway. Uh, do you dance the tango? <laughs> I love the tango. It is a sensuous, even voluptuous dance, if you can use that word to describe a dance. It is a metaphor for life, love, passion, promise, and death. But I don't dance the tango. I wouldn't even try. <laughs> but if I hear tango music and if I see a, a couple dancing the tango, I am mesmerized. And it really is a drama. Of all dances, it is a drama. And the cover of the book has a picture of a uh, 30-ish, 34-year-old man dancing with a gorgeous woman doing the tango, and they're looking into each other's eyes. It's right next to it is Michael Connolly's little blurb. He was so kind. He said, quote, the tension in these pages never lets you go. Rubenstein is a born storyteller, unquote. I couldn't believe it when he <laughs> said that. I could not believe Michael Connolly said that. That's pretty uh, nice. It's it's more than nice. It blew me away. But you know, the cover of the book is emblematic of what's inside the book. And I, you know, I tried to get it. Some people look at the cover and they think, "Oh my God, it's a romance novel." Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, you know, it 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 it, uh, it has romance in it. But it's 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 a medical mystery, a legal thriller, a it's a story about people and their angst and their lives and their conflicts. And interestingly enough to me, it's a story about a man who was very much in love with his wife. And that that's something that comes through because we're in his head throughout the novel and, and some bad things happen. But this is a man who fell in love from first sight. Absolutely. He was brought to his knees mm-hmm. at the sight of Nora. <laughs> brought to his knees. He was weak-limbed and, and salivating at the same time. <laughs> All right, let's let's go back in time a little bit. This this is a little bit of a departure for you. It's a thriller, but some of the thrillers that you've written in the past have been a little different. They've 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 had a different tone. They're a little darker. Um, how how would you differentiate Lovers Tango from the Mad Dog books or uh, Love Gone Mad? 
Yeah, well, The Lover's Tango is, is uh, some people will say it's a bit more literary. I, I don't know. I'm always suspicious of that label. But it, it's not as gritty, as down-home, violent. Uh, it, it doesn't uh, concern itself with the uh, dark underbelly of life and of, of criminals or criminal enterprises or of a deranged stalker. This is really about a, you know, a best-selling author and his wife and, and what happens to them them and how their lives begin to crumble. And uh, it's something I think we can all more relate to in that regard, although the, the legal aspect, and as you had pointed out, being uh, accused of a, of a serious crime, one that would land you in jail for 15 or to 25 years, uh, actually I should say prison, jail is just a county lockup, uh, uh, that, that takes it a bit out of the ordinary, but it doesn't have that, that uh, gritty, crime-ridden underbelly of mm-hmm. violence. Violence that's uh, present in the Mad Dog House, or that's constantly incipient in the uh, in Love Gone Mad, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is a story about a couple being stalked. Yes, and, and uh, it doesn't have anything like the Foot Soldier, which was my novella about uh, Vietnam and combat, and the other novella, the uh, Return to Sandara, which uh, has its own level of of. Uh, of terror and violence in it. So uh, that, I think, is the main difference. I give you credit because you're, well, almost all of these are thrillers. Uh, They're different types of thrillers. So it's not like you're just placing yourself smack dab in the middle of a genre and you're just going to keep writing that kind of book. These are all a little bit different. Uh, why, Why are you doing that? Is this fun for you to just kind of write whatever is appealing at the time? Yeah, I, I firmly believe in writing what you love or what you would love to believe uh, to, to read yourself and uh, that you believe will will uh, not only be enjoyable to you, but hopefully to a, an audience of readers. Uh, I, I read so many novels. I read at least three a week now, and uh, I'm struck by, especially those who write in a series. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always happen, but often I, I feel like I'm reading the same retread of a story over and over again. I just love to mix it up and, and keep myself on my toes, and I, I never want to write the same book twice. And, and um, I think there are lots of uh, authors, some of them even best-selling authors, who, who really end up doing that, although they don't consciously or willfully do it. They just get uh, stuck inside a character or a series, and you know, you know the famous anecdote about uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. He wanted to kill off Sherlock <laughs> Holmes. He was sick of it, you know. But the audience wouldn't let him do it. I, uh, I, I just hope to attract an audience uh, because they just love the writing and the stories and the, uh, the 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 incredible situations. Which, by the way, don't begin to approximate real life situations <laughs> that I've seen as a psychiatrist. Um, but when I put my characters in these situations. Uh, I want every one of them to be different. I remember years ago reading an afterword from a book by Greg Isles, and at that time he was not writing a series, Mm -hmm. but he thanked his readers for allowing him to continue to write different things and continuing to support him, and that really struck me. That was probably a decade or so ago I read that. Now, he has since gone back to, and he's writing a a series with Mm -hmm. one of his more popular characters, but that's sort of what you're doing. You're, you're, You're just producing good writing, the things that you think your readers will enjoy, and then you have to rely on those readers to to support the work and to help spread the word. Yeah, I, you know, I was once asked, how do you get a readership? And I was flummoxed for a moment or two, and then I said, you know, really, I get a readership by 
one reader at a time. Yes. You know, and maybe they talk to somebody else, and, and uh, somebody else talks to some other people, and you go to a bookstore, and, and you give a talk, or to a library, and which, by the way, I think are the cultural uh, backbones and intellectual oases of our towns and cities, of libraries mm-hmm. and, and bookstores. Even though I love e-books, and I have a Kindle, uh, but I, I still read all the, the uh, as many paperback, uh, I can't hold the, 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 the hard uh, covers. They're, they're, they're too heavy. <laughs> Kindle, Kindle has ruined my wrist. I can no longer hold hard. I'm, I'm uh, with you there. I am with you there. And then the, even the idea of needing to turn the light on to read in the evening yeah, can be a challenge yeah. sometime. I, I'm also spoiled by the Kindle, and I actually sort of prefer it now to paper. But, you know, it, it, whatever the book is, I'm, I'm happy to read it. Now, you, like I, interview authors, but you do it uh, on your on your blog, and you also do it for the Huffington Post. Um, and that's something that if people go to your website, which is www.markrubenstein-author.com, they can sign up for your email list and be notified when these new interviews come out, right? Yes, I interview uh, on an average once weekly uh, on for the blog and for the Huffington Post. Mm-hmm. I, I've I've interviewed the biggest and the best. I mean, you have. Right. Uh, you know, the most successful from Harlan Coben to Ken Follett to I just interviewed Sarah Foretsky uh, only uh, Monday, and uh, that'll be appearing uh, to coincide with her book Brushback, which is coming out on the 28th of July. Now, I have her coming up, too, so uh, oh, people okay. can read your interview first and then listen to mine. <laughs> she is a delight. She there's something so elegant about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I tell you, I talk about falling in love. I fell in love over the telephone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's 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 an interesting thing, it, and you are exposed to a lot of fiction when you do these when you do these interviews. You read a lot, and and you, you mentioned earlier that what can happen in a long series is, is that I, I won't use. There are some terms that I won't use, but they do. Authors can get a little bit burned out on a character, I think, but readers want to keep reading that character. So if they do write something else, they may not find the same level of support that they would if they'd written the 34th book in the in the series. Yeah, that, that's a conundrum for uh, a, a number of writers. They want to get out of a particular series. Uh, uh, if you notice, uh, uh, Harlan Coben stopped mm-hmm. with Myron Bolitar. Uh, Dennis Lehane stopped with Kenzie and Gennaro and went on to write more literary stuff. And now he changes it up, although he's gotten into three books with uh, uh, Joe Coughlin and, you know, The World Gone By and, and, and so forth. But, you know, these are the biggest names out there, and mm-hmm. I've interviewed them both. And what I've taken away is not just the whole business between series and and standalones, but you know that every single author from the Dennis Lehanes and the Harlan Cobins and and the uh, uh, the Sarah Paretskys and even the the uh, uh, even uh, Patricia Cornwell, every one of them worries yes. that they've run out of steam and yes. that they'll never have another idea again, or that their careers are disintegrating, and and that uh, the last book they wrote is is uh, they'll never equal it or. Uh, and, you know, what's good is that as a writer, uh, I now do it full-time, 
it's validation that my worries and concerns are not unique <laughs> to me. You know, every the, the biggest of the big uh, have the same worries as my dinky little worries are. So, yeah, that makes me feel better. Yeah, and that's something that I think a lot of readers don't really understand. And it's, it's hard to wrap your arms around that idea, the fact that a lot of these authors, all they have to do is publish the next book, and it's a guaranteed bestseller. But they're mm-hmm. terrified that it's not going to be well-received, and it's going to be it. You know, the, the last book was the last good book they're ever going to write. So that's very well put, and that's, uh, yeah. that's great insight into the, the mind of an author. I have to tell you one very small anecdote. I was speaking with a debut novelist uh, two weeks ago, and uh, only yesterday uh, it appeared, my you know interview with him appeared in the Huffington Post. Mm-hmm. Among many other things, he said to me, he said that the pre-publication uh, reviews were so great, somebody compared me to John Steinbeck, and I'm worried to death. I said, are you worried that the expectation level is too high? He said, yes, you get an American icon like John Steinbeck, the expectations are so high, I'm bound to fail. Yep. So, you know, one way or the other, it, it can be uh, a curse. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. I absolutely adored Lover's Tango. Uh, where can people find the book? Okay, the Lover's Tango is available in uh, certainly on Amazon as both an e-book, uh, I, I must say, for the life-altering uh uh, amount of three ninety nine, uh, <laughs> and as a print book uh, on Amazon, on Barnes and Nobles, at indie books, and also at uh, most bookstores everywhere, be they independent or chain bookstores. Uh, they can also go to my website, which you already mentioned, Mark Rubenstein. That's R U B I N S T E I N hyphen author dot com, and they can order the book directly there. I'm on Twitter at M Rubenstein capital C-T, which stands for Connecticut, where I live. And uh, I'm on Facebook also, but I, I don't I don't begin to recall what the handle for Facebook is. And, and uh, you, you know, uh, sometimes my time is so taken up with the social media <laughs> phenomena that I don't know when I'm going to find the time to write. You, you know? are you are very prolific on Twitter. I will give you that. And I will link to all these in the show notes. So if you're driving home tonight, you don't need to drive off the road and make notes of this. It'll all be in the show notes. So you can catch it all there. So, Mark, thanks again. Thanks so much for being with me today. I I love the book and uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the book and and, uh, to speak with you, Steve. It's a pleasure. Thank you. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and give us a rating or a review. Those will help other readers find great new books like The Lover's Tango from Mark Rubenstein. Thanks for listening.